Listener Production. Laura Henshaw looks like a model, but when she speaks, she defies all those admittedly very silly stereotypes about what a woman who has been beautiful for a living might be. Laura started modelling at just 19, and when she was in Europe for a shoot, she was introduced to fellow model and now business partner and best mate, Steph Claire Smith. The two became fast friends, and they've since built a remarkable business almost empire, really, called Keep It Cleaner. It's the leading Australian health and fitness app that delivers a holistic wellness program to your pocket, minus the body-shaming bullshit of similar stuff. If you can't already tell, I'm a fan. My name is Jamila Rizvi, and welcome to The Weekend Briefing. Matt is jumping into the studio in just a moment, and we will be recommending what to watch, do, see, listen, and read this weekend. But first... Here is my conversation with Laura Henshaw about everything from finishing her law degree while working to her husband taking her name when they got married to the sharp spotlight of social media. Laura Henshaw, welcome to the Weekend Briefing. How are you doing today? Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat to you. I'm good. I'm good. I am pumped to chat to you as well. And I want to start with the fact that you are less than a year married. Is that right? Yeah, about six six months. Yeah, you haven't hit the year. And I want to know, is being married different to being engaged? Oh, I I don't think so. I mean, my well, my I don't even use the word husband. It's I still feel weird when I use it. But my <laughs> husband and I, uh, we lived together for oh I don't know maybe three or four years before we got married, and we planned our wedding four times. So I felt like we were already married. So it was just like a really nice day to celebrate with everyone and a, a great party. But I, I feel like it feels this maybe a little bit like. The commitment is that next level that like if he really annoys me, it's like, well, we're married now, so we should probably try and work through this. <laughs> yeah, there'd be, there'd be a lot of paperwork if yeah. you actually split up. So, <laughs> oh, But no, not much different. I remember, I think it was the day after we got married, my husband came up and flicked my bra strap from behind, which he had never done before. And I turned around and went, hey, what was that? And he just went, what are you going to do? Get divorced? Ah! And he just thought he was so funny. (laughs) I do that to my husband all the time. (laughs) Yeah, sweet. There has been a whole lot of uh, media coverage of the fact that your gorgeous husband, weird to say, but he is your husband, has taken your second name, which I just think is ridiculously cool. Tell me about that decision. Oh, thank you. No, it was, I mean, it was, it's funny reflecting on it and with a lot of the media coverage that it got, because I mean, I feel really lucky that a lot of the people around me and my family and my friends just thought it was quite like, they were, they definitely thought it was, it was great, but they thought it was quite normal. So I was quite surprised when people were honestly acting like we'd, I don't know, done something really, really big and important. So for us, in our relationship, the way that we've, and it was the way we approached our wedding too. And the way that we approach everything is not kind of going with the stereotypes that gen, like each gender plays in a heterosexual relationship. So, you know, there's no assumption that I will do all the cooking and cleaning and I will stay home and not work. And Dalton will go to work. Like we both work, we both share that, you know, all of the, the load, the mental load in the household and, and all of those things. 
And also I have to say a, a lot of the work that you have done, Jabila, in the space for I have learned so much from you in the way that in Aww. relationships and, and the work you do is amazing that we shouldn't have this kind of expectation that, you know, if you fall pregnant and then you'll take five years off because, you know, your husband's job is more important and, and all of these things. But in terms of marriage in particular, I had always been quite strong on the fact that I wouldn't change my name. I didn't want to. I'd worked really hard to build my brand to, to where it is and my, that meant a lot to me. And Dalton knew that. And so we spoke about hyphenating and then we kind of were joking with each other. Imagine if our if we do have children and we are lucky enough to have children, our kids have a hyphenated surname and then they marry a hyphenated surname and then yeah. those people marry and these kids have, you know, eight surnames and I was like, what's going to happen there? And so especially Dalton wasn't too – I thought it was a bit funny but Dalton was like, no, no, I'm not into the hyphenating. And then – he said, you know, why can't I take your name? And I think for me it was something that there's this tradition and I think especially with his family, they are quite traditional and there was an expectation that I would take his surname and I, and I think it wasn't Dalton putting that on me but that's what I kind of felt and so I didn't think that in me not taking it that he would then change it but I was really grateful to have that conversation with Dalton that he came to me with it and said, you know, why don't we not assume that either of us has rights over whose name is taken and we actually make a decision based on, you know, what makes sense for both of us in our lives. And, and that's kind of how, yeah, how it came about. Oh, I love that. I love that you had such an open conversation about it because I agree it shouldn't be unusual. It shouldn't be a point that we remark on. And yet the reality is that I think there are still very few men who are open to that idea. And so it is remarkable and it is interesting. My husband's name's Smith. Why wouldn't he be up he should have upgraded to Rizvi. He could have done so much better, but he chose not to. And that's, you know, that's fine. That's on him. So let me take you back a little bit, Laura, because you are someone who has this enormous following on Instagram and a whole lot of people who are very interested in your life. And I want to kind of explain how we, we got to that point, right? Where you became this public person. So tell me about how you started modeling and how old you were. So when did I start modelling? I was about 19 when I started modelling and for me modelling was something that while I was at uni I was doing a double degree in law and business. It, it paid, to be frank, a lot better than, you know, what waitressing paid at yeah. $10 an hour. And, <laughs> and so I worked out that if I worked one day a month, which is actually really hard, the, the modelling industry is super saturated and unless you're, you, there's maybe three or four people in Melbourne that work full time, the rest kind of just get the, the dribs and draps. So I, I would get, if there was like 10 other brunette because you're kind of categorised by your hair type and like, you know, your skin colour. So if there was 10 other people that looked like me that were not available, then I would get a job. That's kind of how I was kind of the bottom of the, the food chain, but that was fine. You know, I just picked up what I could get and it paid really well through uni. And it meant that if I yeah got a job modelling, I could cut down on waitressing and then I had more time to study. So that worked well for me. And I mean, it's also how I met Steph, Claire Smith, my business partner and best friend in Keep It Cleaner. So I'm very grateful for the time that I did modelling, even though it really affected my self-esteem, how I felt about my body. And I really struggled with the fact that in the modelling industry, your brain doesn't matter. That to me was where I 
I, I don't know, I just felt like I had so much more to prove and I was getting so angry that I couldn't show this, these other parts of myself and then I would question, you know, why do I feel this way? And I was like, it's not the client's fault that they don't care that I'm also studying and I've got this business. Like, that's not on them, that's on me. I just need to stop stop doing this. So I stopped uh, doing it. I do a little bit now for brands that I've worked with for years and book me for me, not for, you know, just the way that I look. But apart from that, I, it's not good for my mental health. So, so I stepped away from it. Honestly, I just think that takes such self-assurance and almost – people use the word self-care and self-care is about candles and bubble baths. But really I think self-care is more about protecting yourself and working out what works for you and looking after your mental health. And, you know, I take, think it takes a lot of wisdom to do something like that. I am someone who clearly has not done a lot of modelling but have done a bunch of photo shoots. And I remember the first time doing a photo shoot, they had to stop and say to me, could you please stop talking? because it's very hard to take a nice photo of you because you won't shut up. And I think the reason I couldn't stop talking was I was desperate to show them I'm good at something else because I felt so not good enough to be having my photo taken for a magazine that I thought, oh, well, I'll just tell lots of jokes (laughs) and and try and show off that I have other talents. (laughs) And, And I can see how doing that, even if it was one day a month, it'd be hard to kind of keep that strength of, I am worthy for many reasons. This is just one of them. Oh, a hundred, a hundred million percent. And I am exactly the same. I feel like on reflection, people would look back at the time when they worked with me and thought, goodness me, that person spoke a lot more than we had bargained for. But it's true because I was like, and especially now if I do shoots, I can't help it. I, I feel like with, with me and I put a lot of pressure on myself and everything that I do and I like to prepare for things and put a lot of work into it. But the thing with modelling is you can't really prepare unless I suppose the only thing you can really do is change your body, which is extremely unhealthy and I'm not interested in going down that path ever again. But I enter the room and the first thing I say is, I'm actually really bad at this, please don't treat me like a model. It's like I have to, or don't expect that I'm going to be good for you because I hate letting people down. And I do feel like when I do do shoots, I don't meet the expectation of, you know, what I should be, but I I have to lead with that. It's like a barrier of my self-worth of like, hang on, I can do more than this. And I'm just telling you, please treat me like I'm, I usually say, because especially with a lot of the shoots I do, it's like really athletic-y movement and I am so uncoordinated. I can't move my arm, move my leg, jump in the air and all these things. So I just say, please don't ask me to do any of that. (laughs) (laughs) So is it fair to say, I'm sort of thinking about uh, reflecting on what you've said so far, that you're a bit of a perfectionist? Are you someone who, that that sort of sense of uh, being really prepared for things, wanting to make sure everything goes well, studying law and business and working out how you can do a job that means you don't have to work as much so that you can put the work into the study. Sounds like you've got a bit of a streak of, I need to do it right. Absolutely. And I think it's something that has served me well in in my career in that I have always known that I wasn't always, especially through school, I wasn't the smartest kid, but what I, you know, those kids that can just go through and do a test and like they get a hundred percent. And even with my degree, I'm not that I had to work really hard, but it taught me that when I worked really hard, I could achieve things and I could get places that I didn't think that I could and obviously there's there's a lot of privilege in saying that because I know there are also a lot of people that work their ass off their whole life and they never get the opportunities that I have you know had in my life and I'm, I'm really really grateful for that but I think the other side of it is that 
I put so much pressure on myself that, you know, if I do a TV interview, I'm expecting myself to be at your level, for example, or I often think of you and I think like, I need to be at the level of Jamila or I need to be at the level of Carrie Bickmore. And then I do it. And I obviously am not at your level, nowhere near, because I, I never do it. And it's something that I need to practice and get better at. And then I really am so hard on myself and I go on this spiral and sometimes those spirals take me like three weeks to get out of and then it affects my work for the next three weeks, which is obviously not good for my mental health. So I think I am very grateful for the way that I'm, you know, always strive to do 110%, but I think also sometimes <laughs> it's not good for my mind. Yeah, and I, th- I think there's a lot of truth in what you're saying because those kind of perfectionist tendencies and I... I'm surrounded by a lot of people who have that. I seem to be drawn to people with perfectionist tendencies. Um, You know, it does make you push, right? It makes you push to be the best and makes you push to be your best and to be excellent at everything you do. So there are some really positive things that flow from those tendencies, but at the same time, they can also hurt you from a mental health perspective or an emotional perspective where you're not frank about the fact that, okay, I am going literally on the project tonight and it is a television show hosted by Carrie Bickmore who does this every night and has done it every night for a decade and maybe it's okay that she's better at it than me. You know, that makes a lot of sense but when we're in this spiral of like overthinking and all when I am and, and feeling anxious the common sense side of my mind does not come so I'm not able to get to yeah. that point for three weeks. <laughs> and I completely understand that spiral. That's a, it's a spiral I know well. It's a spiral I have been mm. in before. Tell me about the beginning of Keep It Cleaner. Tell me about where you've got this friendship with Steph that you make through modelling. How does that evolve into a business? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, as I said, we met at Fashion Week and we really connected. And then from there we had a year or two, maybe it's two years, I can't remember exactly, but we both went overseas and modelled overseas. And that was, I mean, again, I don't regret anything that I've done in my life, but that was a large waste of my time because it was just (laughs) not where I wanted to be. I had to defer. You need to do it. I mean, one thing that, and when I say large waste of my time, I think it's because of the fact that through that time, I completely deprived myself. I wasn't eating. I was excessively exercising because I went to Italy and in Milan, you have to be, you know, a size six. I had to lose a lot of weight. It, It just, my body isn't comfortable at that weight size. So I couldn't, I could not live a healthy life really. Uh, and a lot of people go there and, you know, it, it's the, it's one of those things that with modeling overseas, you're like, I just have to try it in case I make it. And I was like, well, I honestly, that, but that was my mind. So it went over and, and so did Steph. And through those times and also through social media, we both went through really bad relationships with food and exercise. And it wasn't something that I was used to because I had grown up loving sport loving eating well. I didn't know what the word diet meant. I was really lucky it wasn't something that was discussed in my household at all. A few of my friends in high school went on them, but I used to think, oh, that sounds stressful. I don't really, you know, whatever. Didn't think about it. My body was like a thing that I needed to play sport. And, you know, if I ran more, it wasn't because I wanted to lose weight. It was because I wanted to, you know, win cross country or whatever it might be. So I had a really good relationship. And then going overseas and social media opened up this whole world of dieting and deprivation um, that was kind of all, I mean, it's maybe a little bit different, but it was, had this kind of idea that it was wellness. And I use that with quotation marks because there's a lot of wellness that's actually disguised as toxic diet culture. And so I thought I was living this super wellness life and, and really I was really, really unhealthy in my mind and my body. And so when I came back, Steph was the same and we really connected on those experiences that we had been through. And 
when I'd started to feel better and have a healthy relationship with food, I'd started a blog um, and I when Steph was or had a big following and she was always asked what she was eating and Steph actually came to me and said hey do you want to do an ebook she had a dream actually <laughs> and I said oh my goodness you're crazy I can't believe that people come to my blog and access recipes for free let alone want to like we'll pay for them and Steph is yeah. a very confident person and believed in us and she was like nah we're going to do this we're going to do this so we did an ebook we had no idea what to do we literally googled how to make an ebook that's how it started <laughs> um, and yeah from there we we grew, we, we then went into, uh, we did a website, a subscri- very basic subscription website that was in uh, about 2016. And then in 2017, we were in partnership with another big company that ran uh, a web program of Keep It Cleaner. And then from there, we took a big, big risk and probably the biggest risk we've ever taken on our business journey so far. And, and that was to go out on our own and, and build the app and build a team out. Steph and I have always been really passionate about being not just the well for me my passion is being and for Steph as well is running the business as opposed to being the face of it and just like being asked to yeah. say x y and z and not having any kind of input into you know what we're actually doing so we took that risk and yeah here we are now and it's it's been an amazing journey it's something that I think if I reflect on where keep it cleaner has has got to if I went back to my 18 year old self and thought of my wildest dreams kick is beyond that it's it's something that I never believed I was capable of doing even like in my wildest dreams so I feel yeah so grateful that it's grown to what it is a lot of that success is attributed or most of it is the community that we've grown and how supportive they are and also that we've always stayed true to to what we do and who we are and what our mission and purpose is because now even now more so there's a lot of wellness programs that I find it quite misleading within diet culture and I think they kind of have yeah. this messaging that, you know, it's all about how you feel but then you go into it and it's actually not not that at all and that's really dangerous. And for Steph and I, because we've been there, we don't want other, especially a lot of our community in Kika are female and we don't want women to go through that because we know that we've been there and we hope that, you know, Kit can help them find a balanced approach to healthy living. where you're going next because you are starting to expand the team and that you know that's exciting but that's also complex right because you've got this huge community who adore you and Steph and you essentially have to like you almost have to wean them off you a little bit and help them to fall in love with some other faces some other trainers some other people to talk to them so what's the strategy behind that like and who are you starting to bring into the business yeah that's such a good question and such a good point it is really really important to us and as kick has grown it's something that we've really been focusing on over the last probably more so two years so the app relaunch in 2018 and then from the middle of 2020 that's been kind of our core focus in ensuring that we are growing the brand and Steph and I we will probably always be a part of the brand of kick but we don't want to be the it's a big risk in business if there's two faces of the brand and they are the brand and the business is completely reliant on those two faces so for us that's something that's really really important and we've brought in some really great skilled people into our business we've also started building out an advisory board as well which has been really really helpful I think for me being challenged is something that is so important to me and and I think 
one thing that I have learned in in the team is that I think often and I try you know you try as hard as you can to create an environment where your team feel like they can challenge you so much but I think there's also I have to acknowledge the fact that because I am their leader they probably don't feel as comfortable challenging me as they do other people in the team and so it's I need to be challenged so we've brought in and exactly the same with Steph. So we've brought in an advisory board to, to help us with that. That's really, really important. And just challenge the way that we think because I think especially with when you've been in something for so long. Well, when I say so, it does feel so long. It, how many years now? Sef, almost seven years. You need people to come in who are not in it, in the weeds, in the day-to-day yeah. and have that look from the outside with a different lens and say, hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? So that's a really, really big part of it. Uh, and then we've, we have some other – we kind of have a few key buckets that are our expansion strategies, um, and which is great because I think it's so important as well for the team and for us to be motivated. You know, we've got all of this opportunity. One is going international. We are still – we're in 129 countries, which is, which is amazing, but I, we just need to have a little bit more penetration through um, some some of those countries so that's an, another goal for us as well but no it's exciting there's there's lots of exciting things coming up it's a bit it's kind of a combination of overwhelming but also so exciting and together it's a nice combo <laughs> and how do you keep yourself on track with what you want to do with the brand because you've talked a little bit through our conversation about what you don't want to be and the kind of again, wellness in quotation marks, culture that is really a masquerade for diet culture that you don't want to be part of. When you're under this pressure to keep expanding and also you want to, right, you want to do new things, you want to go into new areas, how do you kind of keep your eyes fixed firmly on the goal or why you're here and your purpose for being and not, you know, if someone came along and said, guys, I want to give you $20 million to start producing a keep it cleaner washing machine, how do you decide that, like that's perhaps a bit obvious, but how do you decide that? Well, maybe no, that's not for us. <laughs> you know what's funny? You say it's obvious, but people that haven't heard of our brand still sometimes are like, "Oh, you you don't look like the person yeah, who cleaner. would run a cleaning company." <laughs> like, exactly. Oh, goodness. <laughs> goodness me. Um, but no. So what we we did a big brand project. Uh, it was the middle of last year, and we went as a business. Something that we have gone through and learned is. We have never, ever, ever strayed from the mission and the what we're doing in terms of what our values are and not, you know, becoming a diet culture program. But what we did do for a time was tr- I think we were trying to be everything for everyone and we were just doing a lot. And so we had a period where we had to really pull back, look at what are we doing, what is our core and how far have we strayed from our core? And, you know, you only have so many – As it's funny, as our team is growing, it feels like everyone's busier. So you only have so many resources. And when you say yes to something, I think this is really important for me to always ask myself, if I'm saying yes to something, you know, for the business or for myself, whatever it might be, for kick, that means saying no to something else because we're all at capacity. So that has to be a step in the direction towards where we're going and where we want to go. Otherwise, it's, it's a no. And it's I think having that question in my head's made it really clear. And the way we were able to get there was we did brand work last year and we looked very, very closely and invested a lot of time into working through revisiting our mission, our purpose, our vision. What do we want to do with this company? Doing our strategy for the next kind of year to two years. I am conscious with our strategy that it's important that we're nimble so that's a value for us at Kick. So it's, you know, we don't want to be stuck in this. We're not open to anything, but we have these three areas that we need to focus on. And so if things align with that, it's a yes. And if they don't, then it's a no. And showing as well as a team, we're revisiting those brand values all the time, both internal company values and external values. That keeps us on track because it's very easy to, when you haven't visited them for a time and looked at them to kind of stray away from that. 
physically and philosophically nimble. I like that idea. I also <laughs> like the, the, the intention of saying if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. Uh, yes. Easy to say, but really, really hard to do. I often, like I know I often get emails requesting for me to do something and if it's not a hell yes, it sits in my inbox for a while and I just keep looking at it and being like, oh, I should say yes. They need me to help. I should say yes. And then eventually there's someone who I work with who goes, you clearly don't want to do this. <laughs> like you would have said yes. It's hard though, isn't it? Because I think especially with personal stuff, it's like I think I have this fear in the back of my mind that what happens when I'm not relevant anymore? And what if this is the last opportunity? This is not so with Kik. I think with Kik, we're on, you know, we're on our journey, but then things that I'm doing outside of it, it's like, if what what if this is the last opportunity I'm ever going to get? And if I don't say yes, does it mean I'm never going to get another one? And it's that kind of scarcity yeah. mentality. And I've tr- I've trying really hard to work my way out of that because living in fear and worries is makes it really hard to like ask that question clearly. Mm. It's almost a version of imposter syndrome, right? Like having the sense that a lot of my girlfriends have a a success is coming for me right now, but it must be finite and it's not going to last forever. And I have to accept that at some point it's going to run out. I doubt there are many blokes sitting there going, I wonder if my success is going to run out soon. Oh, a hundred percent. And I think the thing with imposter syndrome for me, I mean, it's something that I go through most days. Some days, you know what, I'll be honest, it's very hard to work through it and my tools don't work. But on most days I can work through it. But I think the thing that I've learned with imposter syndrome is the more successful Kick has become as a company, the worse imposter syndrome has got. And I thought it would be like, when we get to here, I'm going to feel worthy of my role and what I do in the business. But it's almost the opposite because now I'm, I'm in this role and I have this idea of what a person in my role with the size of our company would look like. And I'm doesn't look like me. This person is, well, probably if I really question myself, it's a man. Um, they uh, have had 30 more years experience than me. They just are way smarter and they're just better at what they do. And so I've really had to grapple with that and try to re-envision in my mind, no, I'm doing this and I'm owning it and I'm doing a good job. But it's one of those things that some days it's easier and some days it is not. <laughs> Well, some days you might feel like an imposter from the inside, but certainly from the outside, it does not look like you're an imposter. You guys are absolutely killing it. You should be so proud. Thank you for being my guest on The Weekend Briefing, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for my conversation with Laura Henshaw. Keep an eye out for the Keep It Cleaner app if you're looking for some new ways to work out. They have a brand new workout style called Bar. Bar A, I hope I've pronounced that correct. I might need some help with that. I'm not quite sure what that is, to be honest. Don't go away. Coming up next is Matt with The Weekend List. It is weekend list time and Bron has rudely gone off to sun herself in Europe. But Matt is here and he's jumping into the studio. Welcome, Matt. Thank you. Yes, you're stuck with me as Bron travels the amazing Europe. We're all jealous of her. Yeah, absolutely. But look, I will forgive you being our fill-in as long as you've got some good recommendations, mate. What should we be doing this weekend? There's a movie called Everything Everywhere All at Once, which has just come out in cinemas and is going to be out uh, for streaming uh, this weekend, I believe. It is one of the most refreshing, unique movies that I've seen 
in a long time and I've already watched it two or three times. I'm one of those people that talks my partner into watching a movie and then I sit there and watch it with her and sort of look at her and look at her reaction. But it's this <laughs> amazing movie starring Michelle Yeoh from like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon and Crazy Rich Asians. She's absolutely amazing. Ooh. And she basically is running this down and out laundromat with her family and they're in trouble with the IRS and she's constantly reflecting on the decisions she's made in her life and the paths she could have taken, her hobbies. She could have been an actress, a singer, a fighter, um, all these different things. And what happens is uh, there comes a, a crux moment where all those universes split and then she's able to access those different parallel universes to take down an ominous villain, I guess, that's, that's planning to uh, take down every multiverse as we know it. Across the multiverse, I've seen thousands of Evelyns. You can access all of their memories, their emotions, even their skills. There's a great evil spreading throughout the many verses. And you may be your only chance of stopping it. Don't make me fight you. I am really good. I don't believe you. That sounds absolutely wild, but also really, really good. And I've been hearing so many people just going on and on about this film. I think it is time I got there. Folks, I want to recommend one that is for the Melbourne people for now, but it is a musical that is headed to Canberra, to Brisbane, and also over to Auckland and Wellington soon as well. And that is Girl from the North Country. It is a Tony Award winning musical. It's based on the music of Bob Dylan. It's based on about 20 of his songs and a sort of Mamma Mia style. They've taken the music and created a story out of them. It's set in Minnesota in 1934. It is set in a sort of like a guest house, like a motel, I suppose, that's family owned. And it's showing the stories of the different people who come in and out of that guest house. It is so beautifully done. Lisa McCune absolutely steals the show in this one. It's been hailed as a triumph by the Washington Post. And I think you will really love it if you're a musical person, a Bob Dylan fan, or just someone who wants a sort of unusual night out at the theatre. Well, I'm a musical person, so uh, I might have to go and check that out. <laughs> Sounds awesome, yeah. Bob Dylan. My second recommendation is another watch. I've been watching a lot, as you can tell. It's this Apple Plus TV show called Severance, and it stars Adam Scott from Parks and Recreation and is created by Ben Stiller. And it's basically about this futuristic company, kind of like Google or Amazon, I guess, that have invented this chip that they implant into willing participants that severs their work and their life memories. So when they're at work, they have no idea who they are or what they do outside and vice versa, when they're out in their life, they have no idea what they do in the office. It is one of the most captivating shows. We knocked it off in a couple of nights, like the nine episodes of the first season on Apple TV. We smashed through it. It was just so riveting from start to finish. Do I know you? My name's Petey, I'm from work. So we're friends? I'm your best friend. Nothing is what they say. I used to think it would take a monster to put someone in a place like that office. Especially if the person was himself. If you want to know what's going on down there, you'll find the beginning of a very long answer. What's happening? You have totally sold me on that one. That sounds absolutely brilliant. I love the concept that you could split your work and home lives and yet at the same time that feels completely 
baffling. I'm going to finish you up with a book, folks. That's right, a book I have barely managed to read this year, but I've got through one. And perhaps uh, coincidentally, the book is called Stolen Focus, Why You Can't Pay Attention and How to Think Deeply Again. It's by Johan Hari, and it is absolutely taking the world by storm, this one. And it looks at the idea that our ability to pay attention to things is collapsing. It limits that inability to pay attention to a whole lot of neuroscience. It looks at our mental health. It introduces readers to Silicon Valley dissidents who learned how to hack human attention. There is a reason you scroll Facebook for so, so long. It introduces us to vets who diagnose dogs with ADHD. It explores what's going on in Rio de Janeiro when everyone lost their attention in a particularly unusual way. And it looks at an office in New Zealand that discovered this remarkable technique to restore workers' productivity. So look, if you're one of those people who is feeling like you, particularly post-pandemic, can't concentrate on stuff, can't do the things you used to love because your attention span isn't there. If you are losing hours of your day to your phone, like me, and starting to feel a bit distressed about it, this is a really interesting and illuminating read. And it's got some solutions in it as well. I feel personally attacked. That sounds exactly (laughs) like me. (laughs) I think it sounds exactly like everyone. That's the problem. Folks, that's it for the weekend briefing. Thank you so much for being with us. We very much enjoyed your company. If you want to make sure that you never miss an episode of The Briefing or The Weekend Briefing, then the best thing to do is to download the Listener app now. You can also subscribe or follow us wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, leave us a cheeky rating and a review. No, stop everyone. Actually do it because you always hear this, but you're not doing it enough. Leave us a lovely rating and a review. It will help other people to find The Briefing Podcast. That's it for today. Tom and the team will be back on Monday morning, bright and early, where they will have the latest headlines straight to your headphones. Listener.